Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church Podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. A reminder that if you want to watch the entire service, our services are available on our YouTube channel linked in the podcast notes. We would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available, and you can do this using your favorite podcasting app. We would love it if you would help to support the missions and ministries here at Beach Grove through your tithes and your offerings. A donation link is also linked in the notes below. And lastly, find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. of mortals and of angels but do not have love I am noisy I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love I am nothing if I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these, is love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. That through your word for us this day, we would continue to grow in our understanding of how to be your faithful servants here on this earth. Of how to carry these marks with us, to live according to the faith that we abide in. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so for the the past month or so now, we have been looking at these five marks of a Methodist, right? And, And hopefully we've begun to see how there is this intersection of of our understanding of how we are Christian, right? Because John Wesley, when he's when he's talking about this, this new sect, this new group of people that are forming, 
He wants for the people in the Church of England to know beyond a shadow of a doubt these people are not against the church. They are a part of the church. They, they, they love God as much as you do. They rejoice in God as much as you do. They give thanks to God. They uh, pray to God. They, they do all of these things. Because in the Church of England at the time, these were almost seen as people who were running counter to who the church was calling them to be. And so John Wesley writes, no, 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 no. These people that you call Methodists, they are truly Christian in name and in deed. And he dives into this understanding of how we seek to embody the nature of Christ and how we live each and every day. Because remember, for Wesley, faith was not an, it was not an academic endeavor. It was a practical endeavor. We do not learn about our faith. We live our faith. Now, yes, in living our faith, we do need to understand and know about it. That's why we come to church. That's why we study scripture. That's why we do Bible studies and stuff like that. But we do so not because that's the point of faith. We do so because the point of faith is to live our faith. Right? We are a people deepening our relationship with a God who desires to love us. And out of this, we are called to love God and love neighbor. So let us reflect back. Where have we been in this series? So we began by exploring that love that we have for God. And, and we used a very specific word in the Greek, agape, to define that love, right? It is the nature of God's unconditional, unmerited, undeserved love for us. And we are called to love God in the same way. It's unconditional, based on love itself, not our own ideals, not our own desires. We don't love God on our terms. We just love. Next, we talked about rejoicing in God. And we looked at this mindset of happiness or blessedness that we, all, that we always think about. Except we didn't look at it from an emotional perspective. We looked at it from a spiritual perspective. And spiritually rejoicing in what God offers. And then continuing, much like joy, we looked at thanksgiving. That again, thanksgiving is not something based on our present circumstances. It's not about what's going on in life. It's about the relationship, again, that we have with God. And the work that we hope that God will do in and through us as we continue to live, serve, and grow in the kingdom. And then last week, we examined the nature of this relationship with God. We looked at how we work and grow that relationship through healthy communication and what it means to pray ceasingly. And this all sets the stage as we come together for this fifth and final mark. And so here are the words of Wesley. Again, this is from uh, the character of a Methodist. And while he thus exercises his love to God by praying without ceasing, rejoicing evermore, and in everything giving thanks, this commandment is written in, in his heart, that he who loveth God loves his brother also, and that he accordingly loves his neighbor as himself. He loves every man with his own soul. And so as we look at this, the final mark of a Methodist is that a Methodist loves others, right? We began this series by talking about love, specifically what it meant for us to love God. And we unpacked in that the love that God has for each and every one of us, and therefore the love that we reciprocate back to God. And so as we look at the next three marks that we looked at after that, like I told the kids, it's like we were missing something. And so the final logical step in our relationship with God 
It's not just a love for God. It's not just a reminder that God is always there. It is not healthy communication with God. The next logical step in this relationship, once we know and identify those things, is that we need to love God's creation. We need to love that which God has created. Every human being on the face of the earth. We see throughout the scriptures this foundation of love as the defining characteristic of faith. Right? It's not the laundry list of things that we think we have to do, but the foundation, the scriptural, biblical foundation of our faith is love. Right? I mean, listen to this. This is from 1 John 4.20. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. Imagine being called out like that. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love a God whom they have not seen. This is is from the writer here in John. He's saying, like, y'all, if you don't have love, you are a false prophet. But here we go. I mean, that's that's just John, right? It's not the words of Jesus, right? We we, we need to find something from Jesus. Let me uh, me flip through my Bible. No, I'm kidding. Let me just scroll down in my sermon here. Listen to these words from Jesus himself in Matthew 25. Then he will answer them. Truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away in eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Right. That's in the parable of the, 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 the parable of the separation of the sheep from the goats. And Jesus talks about loving the least of these. Extending that nature of love to each and every person in the kingdom of God. Those who we love is Jesus. And so hearing both of these foundations, it's no wonder that when it comes time for not just John Wesley, but for for theologians, for for church leaders, for, for all sorts of people throughout the ages, when it comes time to define the main characteristic of what it means to be a Christian, what is the first word that often comes out of our mouth? Love. Right? Love God. Love neighbor. And so if we are going to love God, then we have to be able to love that which God has created. Why? Because it's the same love. Right? Sometimes we get so caught up, just like Peter did when we looked at our scripture lesson when we talked about loving God, of trying to define love on our own terms. All right, for those of you who remember, we had four words in the Greek New Testament that were used for love. Phileo, storhe, eros, and agape. And it was agape that stood out as the nature of love that God offers to each and every one of us. In fact, it's the nature of agape that lays the foundation for loves like phileo, storhe, and eros. As agape stands out, we look at the nature in which we are called to give agape love. Right? Jesus calls us in his time to share agape love with God. Calls us to love God and then extends that to love neighbors. Not only loving God, 
Not only is this love for God not a qualifying love, there is no qualifier. In fact, you know what? If God was really God, God would not have to love us because, because he loves us. We would love God because we know that God is God. I know it's sort of a semantical argument, isn't it? But we remember that this love has no qualifications to it. And therefore, even in our time, even when we are interacting with other people in this world, we know that there is no qualification for this kind of love. Therefore, no matter who they are, no matter what they believe, no matter what they even think about us, we are called to love them unconditionally. And yes, I know how bold and how dangerous that sounds. But as I mentioned a month ago, agape love is based not in the nature of the giver or is based in the nature of the giver of the love, not on the receiver. That means we love not because of what anybody has done to us, but because it is the nature of humanity, the nature of creation, the nature of anything and everything around us to spread God's love. We do not love out of familial obligations. We do not love because they are our friends. We do not love them because they brought us a loaf of bread or they shared a cup of sugar with us. We do not love them because they opened a door for us. We love them because they were born as a human being on this earth. We love them because they, everybody, is created by God. And so we need to love others. And you see, this can be so difficult to practice because we want to put love in terms that we can understand. We want to, like Peter did with Jesus, we want to be able to define love. We say, Jesus, I love you like a brother. Jesus, I love you like a friend. We want to be able to put stipulations on our love. But look at this. When we begin to look and dive deep into scripture, we begin to see the true nature of love as it exists for us today. We begin to look and see how love is truly defined. And we begin to know and understand the unconditional nature of love. And we begin to look and see why it is we have failed to love. When we look at the unconditional nature of love, our own sins are revealed. Because we are still working towards perfection and when working towards perfection, we acknowledge the places we have fallen short. Because historically, we have fallen short of this nature of agape love. We've tried to set our own terms on who is worthy of love. Throughout human history, even the church has been guilty of this. However, Jesus, is, Jesus teaches us to love one another. And here in our scripture passage today, we have an example. We have a definition of love. And again, sometimes I think we miss the mark because for those of you who know, where do we meet? Where do we read this, this Bible verse? When do we read this Bible verse? At weddings. And I mean, it's a lovely, it is a lovely verse about love. And I wish that I could, you know, have couples up here and tell them you need to be patient with each other. You need to be kind with each other, not because you're married, but because you are two human beings. And because the great thing about marital love is it can set the stage for the love that we are called to share with others. Every time you see the word love in this passage, though, it is translated not as eros, but as agape. 
Because Paul is trying to teach us about this, what this unconditional love looks like. And so let's unpack this. Let's look at this. We're going to work our way through this passage real quick. And so first, we've got, I think I've got five things. I, they're, they're on your paper. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. So you've got five things. The first is that love never gives up. Right? We start right there at the beginning. Love is patient. Love is kind. Even in trouble, even in bad times, love is always there. Right? We learn that about God. And if God does not forsake us when times get rough, then neither should we forsake others when times are rough. Even when someone hurts you beyond what seems like repair, love is still there. Now, the relationship might look different, but the love is still called to be there. The nature of forgiveness that we are called to give. This is where I get kind of safe here because we know the nature in which people hurt us. This is not saying that just because someone hurts us, even someone hurts us beyond measure, that we need to just up and forgive them and allow things to go back to normal. No. But there's a difference between holding on to anger and bitterness towards people for the rest of our lives than it is to forgive them, to love them. Yes, it might change your relationship with them. It might mean never seeing them again. It might mean never being and it might mean changing and altering the way you interact with them. But we cannot harbor anger and hatred because love is patient. Love is kind. Second, love cares more for others than for itself. Now I know, I know, I know, right? We self-care, preached, a sermon, preached sermons on that earlier this year. And it's not that we don't love ourselves again. But remember, it looks towards how we are loving others. It's not based on what we are receiving out of this love, but it looks and it understands, right? Love is not envious. It is not boastful, arrogant, or rude. It does not insist on its own ways. It is not irritable or resentful. We are not meant to give love based on how we feel. It is not resentful. It's not based on itself. We love because we are called to do so. And love becomes an extension of helping others and doing God's good work. God does not love for their personal self. God loves out of the genuineness of creation. Third. Love does not keep score, right? It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. You know, one of the great thing about love and about God is that God is not up in heaven keeping tally marks of every time I sin. I feel like by now he'd probably run out of paper. Not that bad, I promise. No. No. Love is about rejoicing. Love flows from our soul. Love does not need to keep count because it is not based on any sort of score. I do not love because I owe you one. We do not love God because we owe God one. And since love does not keep score, it is the most genuine thing that exists on this earth. Why? 
Because when we truly know and understand this type of love, we do not look for someone to do something for us. We do not look for somebody to do something. Instead, when we see somebody, we immediately know and understand the place that they hold in God's kingdom. Fourth, and here's the great thing, is love just exists, right? It's just there, never leaves, even when we're angry, even when there's hatred in this world, love is there. Why? Because it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. Because what is the true source of our love? God. The true source of our love is all around us. It's embedded within each and every one of us. It's the image that we hold deep within ourselves. It's the image that we seek to clean, to undistort from a world that has so distorted and broken it within ourselves. But know what? The love of God, the nature of God within you is always there. No matter how many walls we try to build up, no matter how much hatred or evil there is in the world, God is right there on the other side. I promise you, you can build a million-foot wall, run 4,000 miles away, and God will bust through that wall, and his love will be there. Love never ends. Love just exists because the nature of God is love. And lastly, Love is the greatest, amen? Faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And what is the greatest? Love. What is the greatest? Love. Why? In these three things, when we look at them, why is it love is the greatest? I mean, these are three really great words that Paul is putting out here. I mean, faith, right? Believing in God, hope, maybe life could get better, love. And Paul's like, no, 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 love is the best. Why? Because faith and hope, they rely on love. Faith and hope, they rely on the love that God has for us. For Wesley, it's not enough to have faith and hope, but our faith has to produce itself in this nature of love. Why? Because it is the genuine response to God's love. That's why when we look in 1 John and we see the writer writing there saying that if you do not love your brother and sister, but you say you love God, boy, you are a liar. Wesley did not have the one mark of loving God, but he had five marks because he knew that in loving God, there were, there were fruits of our faith. There were things that we were called to do. Paul says love is the greatest. He means it is because it is the expression of our hope and our faith. Paul describes a love that is all giving no matter who the person is, no matter what they have done to us. Because we are, but because in this world, our calling from God is to seek to fill God's love throughout the land. You want to talk about the kingdom? You want to talk about heaven coming to earth? Love somebody. Love them unconditionally. Love them even when they do bad things. It means that despite the terrible tragedies, means despite the hate and vitriol that is going on in the public domain, and it means standing higher than that. 
means when you see a neighbor in trouble, we consider what it means to help them. You know, I love this quote from Dr. Martin Luther King. He says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. You know, I know I looked at this passage backwards, but those first three verses, they get me every time. Right? And, and, and really, you know, I, I love the, the New Revised Standard. That's the version that Katrina read this morning. The, the words are great and the words are wonderful. There's, it, it's such a great passage in any translation, but I love the way that it's translated in the Message Bible. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith to say that says to a mountain jump and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, or what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Why? Why are we bankrupt without love? Because just like we learned from John, just like we learned from Jesus, just like we learn in James, just like we learn from Paul, just like we learn from all over the place, if we are going to boldly proclaim that we believe in God, that we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, then the question we have to answer for ourselves is what are the fruits of that faith? And if your answer to that is not love, then I'm going to be the bold pastor to say I think you have the wrong faith. When we talk about these five marks of the Methodist, there's a reason that John Wesley settles on these. He doesn't just settle on them because he thinks they're cool. He doesn't settle on them because he wants to be popular. He doesn't even settle on them because he thinks that they will live and exist for all eternity. John Wesley settles on them because when John Wesley studies Scripture, when he takes into account the history of the church and our tradition, when he listens to the Holy Spirit, it's these Things that stand out to him. Bookended by love. When we combine these five marks, when we love God, rejoice in God, uh, uh, give thanks, pray constantly, love others, we produce the fruit of a living and active faith. A faith that does not judge. A faith that is an expression of the God who loves us beyond all measure. And so as we come on the heels of this series and we, we begin to move past it and we move into, into new seasons and we, we move into this idea of what does membership look like. When we get to this idea of membership, we're going to talk about membership right here at Peach Grove, but friends, we cannot have membership right here at Peach Grove unless we do not establish this understanding of what it means to be a Christian. This is where it starts. We acknowledge the love that God has for each and every one of us and we seek to live in it each and every day of our lives and to express it all across creation. Amen.